following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. Tomorrow is a very special day within esotericism. October 27th in 1954, we celebrate the advent of Samael, the incarnation of the Logos, the Red Christ of Aquarius, the spiritual being of the force of Mars, who entered into his bodhisattva, Samael on the Or, in 1954, October 27th. We celebrate this day particularly because that was a major step within the life of that initiate who provided the books that we provide here, whose teachings we explain in our lectures. Any person on the path of initiation who seeks to take the direct path must reach the sphere of Tifereth, the fifth initiation of fire, in order to incarnate their own inner Christ. That is the beginning of the first mountain. It is an important step, a necessary one, which is culminated, perfected, on the height of the second mountain, the mountain of resurrection, in which the ego must die completely, must be eliminated, so that Christ which is born first in Tifereth as a child can become a true, fully perfected being, a resurrected master. Salmaion Vior achieved this in his lifetime. 
And so we celebrate his advent tomorrow in remembrance of that fact because it gives us inspiration to work on ourselves. This Bodhisattva was able to help humanity because Christ was within him. And we too can emulate that initiate. We say that he is the red Christ because red is the color of Mars. The color of fire. The sacred fire of Kundalini which must become perfected and raised in us. We do that on the mountain of initiation, but then we must go higher to enter the path known as a resurrection. Unfortunately, people in these times do not understand really what resurrection is, especially as it relates with the tarot and the spiritual path. Resurrection comes from the Greek anastasis, meaning rising up, resurrection. From ana, meaning up, and stanai, meaning to make stand. This relates to words like resuscitate, to raise, to revive, to go up again. To stand again. Right now as we are, we are fallen. Whether we have entered initiation in past lives or are entering it for the first time here, all of us do not know how to stand. We are weak. We have ego. We have faults. We are afflicted with desires, imperfections, sufferings. All of us were once united with God, with the being. But because of our original sin, fornication, we fell from Eden, the Hebrew word for bliss. And so we must enter the spiritual path to rise again, to stand again, to be resuscitated from the dead. People think this term resurrection applies to just the physical body. There is a component to that which we will explain today. But all of us are spiritually dead. We are not alive in the spirit. We do not know God. We do not speak face to face with our own Elohim within the dream state. People like to say they believe in God, that with the death of their body, they will resurrect simply by believing in divinity. But this is false. There is no scientific basis, no factual basis upon which this could happen. Primarily because resurrection, to return to God, is a very difficult work. It is a very precise path the ego must be eliminated. The soul must resurrect from the dead. We speak a lot about death of the ego. If we wish to resurrect the soul, there must be no imperfection, no pride, no fear, 
no laziness, no lust, no anger. Humanity likes to think that by doing good deeds, we're holding on to the garbage of our past, our sentimentalism, our agony, our hatreds, that when we go to the grave, we will resurrect with our physical body and enter a rapture, which is very absurd. Primarily because in all the scriptures of the world, resurrection is only for masters who have died to all self. And yes, there is a resurrection with the body. But that is for very elevated beings like Jesus. Very high. It is intentional work. It is specific. This card of resurrection is very favorable. And if you've been following the sequence of the Arcana, Arcanum 18 was particularly difficult. Twilight. Battles against the Black Lodge, against the mind. Which is followed by inspiration. A favorable card. We become inspired in the path as we annihilate the ego. When we see the results of our work, of our inner path. We found the moon associated with 18 the lunar animal mind. The sun emerges immediately afterward as a sun of glory, the strength of the being who is present in our three brains when we meditate. Resurrection is precisely when the ego is annihilated by the sun. There is no moon left there is only light. That is resurrection. And there are levels to resurrection. There are levels of resurrection in the soul. And there are levels of resurrection in the spirit and even the body. Some people often refer to this card, resurrection, as an arcanum of Victory, overcoming obstacles, ordeals, sufferings. Victory over weakness, over imperfection. It is also known as the Day of Judgment in many scriptures. People believe the Day of Resurrection is the day in which humanity will be judged by a tyrannical God, an anthropomorphic figure, who sends the sinners to hell and the believers to heaven. This is the basic popular meaning. But as we said, resurrection is based off of facts, of work, of development, not by belief. So many Jews, Christians, and Muslims believe that in the future, on a day of judgment, God will save the righteous and damn the sinners, physically. There are levels of interpretation to this teaching. 
But as we'll explain in this lecture, the day of resurrection is dynamic. It pertains to initiation in ourselves when the ego is fully eliminated and dead. But there has existed in, I believe, 1950 in the internal planes. A moment in our cosmic history which is very profound and terrifying in which divinity judged our humanity as unworthy. The gods sent and destined this humanity to the abyss. We'll explain that principle today as well. So there are different meanings to this term. One level is resurrection, our initiatic development in which the soul is perfected. But then there's also the day of judgment in which our humanity has already undergone. Particularly through the work of the fifth angel, Samael, the angel of war, who has the keys of cosmic justice in his hand. We'll talk more about his influence, particularly in relation to resurrection, since tomorrow is a holiday in which we celebrate his incarnation on earth. So again, resurrection is a popular belief to many. That in some time coming up, humanity will be judged, will receive retribution for their actions. But that time has already passed. 1950. And we are seeing the results of that internal influence of which we'll explain. So initiation, real resurrection, is our own work, our own life, intensely lived. We work with the three factors of the revolution of the consciousness. We transmute the sexual energy. We give birth to the soul. We die to the ego in meditation. And we sacrifice for others. Through death of the ego is how we resurrect our soul, give it life again, give birth to our true identity, our true nature. But this comes about through tremendous sacrifices and hardships. As you've seen in the life of any prophet like Jesus, Moses, the Buddha, Samael. All who face persecution, hatred, hardships, betrayal, suffering. So this card, while relating to victory, involves some type of suffering. Because to reach the heights of perfection, we have to really pay everything we owe before the lords of karma, the judges of divine hierarchy. All that must be paid. All of that accumulation of demerits of wrong action has to be balanced before the soul can be perfected. And this comes about through tremendous sufferings like terminal illness, as you saw in the case of Samayon Vior, physically, in Mexico, and many other masters, who before they perfect themselves have to die physically. Of course, this is very 
challenging ordeal to face, which is why when people in these times, particularly in the Gnostic movement, proclaim, I have walked and have attained the height of the second mountain, the third mountain, the heights of perfection, and yet physically they have not died. This is absurd. The physical body must die before the end of the path. Primarily because without death there is no resurrection. Death to the ego and then our body, which is the result of the fall from Eden, the child of fornication, must go to the grave. We must lose our life in order to gain it. This is the principle of this card. The moon must no longer eclipse the sun. And in that way, we obtain light. Resurrection is founded on death. Common people filled with lust and adultery never enter heaven, which is why we can believe in all we want. We can have our body buried in a Jewish, Muslim, Christian cemetery. But when we physically die, if we don't work on our ego, we will not resurrect. So it's a common tradition in the Abrahamic traditions, the faiths, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, to preserve the body. Because they think that when the day of judgment arrives, they will emerge from the grave victorious through belief. But this is what I believe Paul of Tarsus stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-10. through 10. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. That means if the ego is not dead, we will not enter heaven. We will not obtain resurrection. For as Jesus stated, you've heard it said of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But even if we look at another person with lust, we've already committed adultery in our heart. So physically is one thing, but psychologically, the ego is there. That must be removed. So until that point, we are spiritually dead. We are the living dead of the Bible. Physically, we are active, we are awake, we are alive. But in truth, spiritually, we are asleep. We are not awake in the internal planes. We are the living dead. Because if we annihilate the ego, we awaken consciousness completely. So only those who are defunct, who have annihilated the ego entirely, 100%, can be accepted within the tribunals of the law as true masters, resurrected ones. Only they can enter heaven. The following verses are from the Quran, which elaborate these points. This is from Surat al-Qiyamah, the resurrection. I swear by the day of resurrection, and I swear by the reproaching soul, 
to the certainty of resurrection. So what is the reproaching soul? The blaming soul. We've explained in previous lectures three types of soul. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama. Nefesh, the animal soul. Or in Islam, the soul that inclines to evil. The animal mind, the ego. We have the blaming or reproaching soul, Ruach, the soul that thinks and contemplates right action, who blames the ego and works upon imperfection. But then we have the soul at peace, Neshama, the perfected soul, the spiritual soul, which we reunite with when the ego is dead. That is when we find true peace. In Arabic, Nefesh is known as Nafs al-Amara. Ruach is known as Nafs al-Lawama. And Neshama as Nafs al-Mutbaina, the perfected soul. So I swear by the reproaching soul, by my consciousness, my work of the certainty of resurrection, the end of the path, which is obtained only by initiates, does man think that we will not assemble his bones? Yes, we are able even to proportion his fingertips. So the Quran speaks abundantly about resurrection in that scripture, very beautifully. But it's symbolic. It is not for the masses. So ten fingers, ten safarot, ten spheres, they become perfected on the mountain of resurrection. So in the tree of life, we talk about on the first mountain, reaching Tiferet, we raise the sacred fire of Kundalini within Malkut, the physical body, Yesod, the vital body, Hod, the astral body, Netzach, the mental body, Tiferet, the causal body. If we take the direct path, we incarnate Christ, and then raise and work upon the serpents of light, again within the lower bodies themselves. The seventh up to Chesed, or better said, Giburah. The sixth, Chesed. The seventh, even up to Binah. The eighth. If we raise the serpents of fire and the serpents of light, we can enter the second mountain, which means to descend within our own inferno and annihilate the ego completely. When we annihilate the egos relating to Yesod, the lunar hells, or better said, in Klipot, we can rise to the lunar heaven, Yesod. Annihilate egos relating to our emotions, negative emotions like hatred, pride, in the, in the lower spheres. We ascend up again towards their respective heavens. Nine hells, nine heavens. Malkut in between. When you perfect all ten sephiroth, meaning there is no hell in you, no ego, then we self-realize the ten sephiroth in ourselves. That is why the Quran says, we proportion you even unto your fingertips with resurrection, because we have ten fingers, ten sephiroth. Symbolic. Yes, we are able even to proportion his fingertips 
but man desires to continue in sin. Again, turning to the left pillar. To sin, an archery is the fire and arrow that goes to the left to fall into desire. The lower spheres. He asks, when is the day of resurrection? So when his vision is dazzled and the moon darkens and the sun and the moon are joined, man will say on that day, where is the place of escape? So, of course, the common interpretation is we will see physically the moon in front of the sun. Our vision will be dazzled. We'll be afraid of all the cataclysms that occur. That can be one level of meaning. In relation to the cataclysm of humanity and the annihilation of the Aryan root race, on another level, it pertains to when we face the ultimate trial. When the ego is dead, we have to be tested even further through tremendous suffering relating to karma, the moon. Our vision will be dazzled. We will suffer a lot at the heights because to reach the full maximum potential of our being requires tremendous sacrifice. Renouncing our mind and returning completely perfected. Where is the place of escape? Meaning, where will I avoid danger? It is a very dangerous work. Because even when the ego is dead, we can still fall. This relates to the moon of Arcanum 18 and the sun of Arcanum 19. So if you remember the progression of the Arcana, we're now reaching resurrection, the union of the two. No, there is no refuge to your Lord. That day is the place of permanence. I believe even Friedrich Nietzsche wrote, that which was once my greatest danger is now my greatest refuge. Because you can have the experience internally, where your being shows you entering the path. And when you get to the very heights towards resurrection, there is the most danger where we could fall. Our vision is tempted to go down, but we have to go up. Remember God. So there is no refuge except for Him, say the Muslims. Allah is the ultimate refuge, the place of permanence, of perfection. Man will be informed that day of what he sent ahead and kept back. Rather, man against himself will be a witness, even if he presents his excuses. So as I said, all karma is paid. There is no refuge except to pay what we owe. That is the law. At that height, you will either succeed or fail. There is no middle ground. Which is why Salman Bayor said, out of this doctrine are only gestated angels or demons. Move not your tongue with it, O Muhammad, to hasten with recitation of the Quran. Indeed, upon us is its collection in your heart, the Adam noose, and to make possible its recitation. So as I explained in the previous Arcanum, Recitation means Qur'an. Ur, the light manifesting from Aum, our sexual organs, our virility, so that we can speak the light of God in our three brains. Then upon us is its clarification to you. No. 
but you love the immediate and leave the hereafter. Some faces that day will be radiant, looking at their Lord. Some faces that day will be contorted. No. When the soul has reached the collarbones and it is said, who will cure him? And that dying one is certain that it is the time of separation. And the leg is wound about the leg. To your Lord, that day will be the procession. Some souls will perfect themselves. Even at that height, they may fall. It's a dangerous path. And so who will cure him, says the Quran? Many people were trying to help cure Salmaion Vior when he was sick and dying near the end of his life. And so people ask, who will cure this master, our teacher, our prophet? But that is a price every master must pay for having fallen with his sickness, with disease. Karma must be paid, must be balanced. And the disbeliever had not believed nor had he prayed. The word for a believer in Islam is mumin, the one who works with the waters, who knows how to be through the power of love, through alchemy, not through literal belief in the mind or heart, but practical works in sexuality, the motor, instinctive, sexual brain, But instead, he denied and turned away. And then he went to his people swaggering in pride. Woe to you and woe. Then woe to you and woe. This straight path is not easy. Not many people take it. But it leads to the heights of happiness, of perfection. Does man think that he will, not, he will be left neglected had he not been a sperm from semen emitted? Because a master is created through Al-Khalik, the name of God in Arabic of the Creator. Al-Wadud, the loving. The names of Allah. These are names of alchemical generation. We were created through the sperm or ovum, whether physically or in alchemy. Here it's talking about the human being that is gestated through the fifth initiation of fire on the first mountain, the creation of the solar bodies. Then he was a clinging clot, and Allah created his form and proportioned him, which means to be made and balanced, creating solar astral, solar mental, solar causal vehicles through the work of transmutation, and made of him two mates, the male and the female. Is not that creator able to give life to the dead Surat al-Qiyamah, the resurrection. It's interesting that the word Qiyamah in Arabic sounds like al-Kimia, alchemy. Because that is how we reach resurrection, is through the work, not by belief. That energy of sex can create life and it brings spiritual life to the spiritual dead. So as we're explaining this quote from the Quran, we have this image 
of Anubis judging the human soul in the tribunals of karma. We have his heart balanced, his mind symbolized by the feather balanced in the scales. This is a symbol of resurrection. All three brains must be perfected and balanced. The scales of karma must be equilibrated. You see Anubis, the Lord of the Law, judging this soul and the qualities of his or her heart. I believe we have Thoth, the master of Mercury, Hermes, philosophical hermetic science, standing and writing, inscribing the judgment upon the stone of Shem Hamfarash, the mysteries of Yasod, and Typhon Baphomet, the face of the crocodile, the forces of devolution waiting to see if that master will either succeed or fail. That is the day of judgment inside, but externally in the cosmic history in this planet is different. Let us actually look at the glyph of the card. In the waters of this card, the bottom third is a column of edification, the cubic stone of Yasod. It is the pillar of equilibrium, constituted by Keter, Da'at, Tiferet, Yasod, Malkut. The pillars of the left and the right have been balanced, like in the scale of karma in the previous image of Anubis judging the heart and the mind. There is no black pillar here because the soul is purified completely. We have a mummy in the middle of the plate and a sparrow hawk with a human head flying to the heavens. That sparrow hawk is the soul. The face of a human being and the body of a flying great bird, great elemental of nature. The soul knows how to fly in the internal planes from Malkut to Keter, completely at will. This also relates to jinn science. Being able to put the physical body into the jinn state so as to travel within hyperspace, the fourth dimension. And as there are white jinns, there are also black jinns. Black magicians who know how to travel in the inferior aspect of hyperspace, the inferior fourth dimension. We must become like sparrow hawks with human heads, according to the Egyptian mysteries. We have the mind of a whom, man, the spirit whom, a manas that is in balance, united with the spirit. The caduceus of Mercury must be fully developed. The wings of our divine nature must be spread open through the raising of the sacred fire up to the head. So we can soar through the heavens, through jinn science, through astral projection, through meditation. But of course, as I said, there are white jinns and there are black jinns. I had an experience many years ago in Egypt, in the astral plane. 
where the Egyptian initiates of that temple awoke my consciousness, where I saw myself third person traveling throughout the desert. I was surrounded by light because those Egyptian masters were helping me. And when I was in the desert, I was assaulted by a group of harpies. Women with the faces of their human form and bodies of sparrow hawks. And they were trying to conjure and claw me and screeching like in the Greek myth. So those are real beings in the astral plane. They know how to, these witches, travel throughout the planet with their physical body. They transform and metamorphize into animal figures. So the Greek myths teach a literal truth, a real truth about initiates who know how to travel in those states. But fortunately, I wasn't harmed because the masters of the Temple of Giza were giving me light. And they were screeching these monstrous harpies trying to harm me. But I wasn't afraid. I had no fear at all because light was in me. And they were retracting in pain whenever they'd come near the light, like moths to a flame, because those creatures of the darkness are attracted to the light, but also assaulted by it, cannot withstand its power. And that is the power of resurrection to a minor degree. We can resurrect in the soul and go higher, but I couldn't do that on my own. I got help. So that experience taught me that while I was learning to be like a sparrow hawk in the positive sense, there were also sorcerers of the black path who know how to transform themselves and travel in that state. But with protection, we cannot be harmed. So divine protection aids us in this work. We are always helped, even in the midst of great suffering. So... That was an example of Arcanum 18, light versus darkness. But I was inspired because I had light. I could see third person, myself, being defended and helped. And of course, that relates to Arcanum 20 because there was a victory there. I was being taught something profound. So you see in the image of this sparrow hawk, an axe and a staff of power. The axe is in the right hand, which is the sexual force, the power of chesed, and the staff of command in the left, relating to the left pillar, the work with Gibberah, the balancing of those two forces. So this is how we are empowered. Mercy, justice, be the equilibrium and splendor, the light of my life. That's the meaning of the invocation of Solomon, one of the prayers we use daily. We are invincible with resurrection, but if we turn that axe of sexuality upon ourselves through fornication, we lose everything. We fall. So these forces, these symbols, the axe and the staff, reject the tenebrous ones. We cannot be controlled by the Black Lodge unless we have ego. 
and if we are not helped by divinity. So that experience I mentioned to you gives me a lot of faith that I was being helped and am being helped in my work. Because symbolically, I was given the energy and light. We call that in Sufism, Barakah, which comes from the Hebrew, Baruch, blessings. Baruch, Atah, Adonai, blessed be the name of the Lord. Barakah is when a spiritual master in Sufism gives you light that you cannot obtain on your own. That's a state of supra-consciousness. Getting light that is like the power of a sun that we can't generate on our own until we reach higher development. So divinity gives you little experiences like that to inspire you that this path is possible. So we have to remember not to misuse the axe, the sexual force, to not chop down the roots of the tree of life through fornication, to cut down the tree of knowledge of good and evil in us, the sexual force, through falling, through fragility. If we do that, we become the fool of the tarot, the bohemian, the idiot, according to Fyodor Dostoevsky's famous Russian novel. That is the Arcanum 21, the next card. We see this card is ruled by Capricorn, the goat, which is a symbol of the ego. The goat is referenced in the Bible often, symbolizing the fornicators common humanity, the goat. Sheep are the believers, the initiates, those who work in alchemy, who transmute the sexual energy, the Gnostics. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. So in order to obtain resurrection, we have to eliminate the goat, the animal in us. It's interesting that the goat as well as the, the sheep, too, have a lot of fire, tejas, red meat. These animals are symbols of the work of the fire. That fire can be channeled in heaven or in hell. Sheep above, goats below. So, this card is also governed by Mars. Because it is through the path of spiritual warfare that we obtain resurrection. That is how we cease being goats and become sheep. Masters. Yes. We have a mummy at the bottom of this glyph. And some island VR mentioned that it is the pineal gland through which the sparrowhawk emerges. So we often talk about positive and negative astral projections. Black magicians know how to project from the physical body into the lunar astral plane, into hell. Those projections usually happen through the back, the cossacks, or the anus, where the soul projects down through that way from the physical body, entering the inferior planes. Because the digestive tract is often referenced in the writings of Samael and Vior that hell is the entrails of the earth. 
where souls are excreted as refuse, disintegrated in those regions. But there are also positive astral projections through the heart, the superior dimensions, the pineal gland, the crown. And I've had experiences projecting through my crown chakra in order to enter the very heights through samadhi, maha samadhi. So it's dual. The mummy represents the bodies of the Egyptian hierophant who is perfected. The mummy is the physical body. And in Egypt, they refer to the astral body as the ka, K-A. The mental body as ba, B-A. And the causal body as ku, K-U. So mummies can be deceased or living. Living mummies are in a state of catalepsy. There are mummies in Egypt and secret places that have been prepared by masters so that in a future age will be incarnated by certain masters through superior spiritual transference where those souls will enter into those mummified bodies and rise from the grave. Those are very elevated masters, no ego. So those living mummies are very well hidden from greedy archaeologists, from all the skeptical Indiana Jones, Joneses that like to raid that which is holy and desecrate which is sacred and profound and put them in museums for people to gawk at. So those mummies you often find in the museums are dead. They're no longer active. But there are living mummies that are hidden, not available or easy to be found because they're protected by magic elementals. So the physical body is a mummy. We either go into it or out of it during our sleep, which is what's represented here by resurrection. We can experience resurrection in a spiritual, psychological, and psychic level by learning to astral project through the pineal gland to the heart. Where we have tremendous light. We see things we never saw before. We're given inspiration, Arcanum 19. We're overcoming the ego, Arcanum 18. And resurrection in one level is like having a samadhi, mystical experience in which you're flying in those regions, being helped. So the Egyptians were an advanced civilization, spiritually. They were more advanced than our present humanity, which is very ignorant about spiritual matters. So while we like to laugh at Egypt as worshiping idols, we go on television and watch American Idol, where adultery, fornication, pride is celebrated. But the Egyptians were an advanced civilization spiritually before they had also devolved like we are now. So these vehicles of the Egyptian mummies were preserved through a precise science by preserving the etheric body of the initiates within the mummies themselves. You can read about these procedures in the book Terra and Kabbalah by Samayan Vior specifically.
So we mentioned the mummy, the solar bodies, the physical body, because in order to become resurrected, we must create solar astral, solar mental, solar causal. A true human being has solar bodies, is a, an Egyptian hierophant. Hieros, a holy being, a holy archon, hierarch, one who works with a great arcanum, the law. This is the Egyptian sahu, the wedding garment of the soul. So, lunar bodies, we explained previously. You wake up in the astral plane, you look at yourself. If you're dark, phantasmagoric, cold, those are lunar vehicles. Spectral vehicles by which our ego and soul travels in the internal planes. But the solar bodies are very different. An Egyptian master is very different. So I also remember invoking Samael and Vior in the astral plane. Very beautiful experience. I was in the city of, I don't know what city I was in, but I got off the street in the middle of the night in the astral plane, went into an alley, and mentally I looked to the sky. I said, in the name of Christ, by the power of Christ, for the glory of Christ, Samael on Vior. And I got on my knees and I kneeled as a butterfly emerged. Started hovering, came down, and I knew it was a symbol of my work. That butterfly is the sparrowhawk, the ability to fly in the superior world, to be resurrected. And I felt great humility before this initiate who suddenly transformed from the butterfly into his bodhisattva, as you see in the images in Me in, from Mexico. But in this instance, he was wearing a particular white garment, a headdress from the head, white cloth descending down all the, all the way down his body in holy white garments. And I remember having this experience before I went on Google and looked up images of Salman Vior, where unfortunately some people posted from the movement images of that prophet in those garments, which are particular to secret aspects of our doctrine, second chamber, which we don't unveil to people. But unfortunately that's out in the public. People can look at that. But I remember experiencing him appearing that way before I looked at the image on, online. And I remember sitting and kneeling before him seeing him full of light, the Ain Sof Or through him. And he looked at me with a lot of love. Just smiled at me, signaled for me to walk with him. And we walked throughout the city and he was teaching me many things. And I remember how clumsy I felt walking next to him. His steps were perfected, full of light. And he was adjusting himself to help me because I remember trying to walk before this great being and feeling very sad of my state. But he was showing me, through your work of annihilating the ego, you can resurrect like me. And in that way, that inspiration I've been continuing. So, this card is very profound. The sparrowhawk is a butterfly. It emerges from the mummy, the cocoon the chrysalis, the dead, in order to have new life.
In this card, we also look at the Hebrew letter resh on the top right, which represents the head, rosh, as we hear in rosh hashanah. The letter R is a Christic letter, but that energy can be adulterated in either heaven or hell. Depends on our use of it. As we began this lecture, we did the mantras in ri. The letter R strikes the pineal gland, sending energy for the vowel E into our head, circulating. And that is how we Christify ourselves. We can perform these mantras in sexual alchemy or individually. In this next image, we have Christ crucified. Death, resurrection, and immortality are deeply linked. Resurrection is the result of death. Without death, there is no resurrection. Salmayan VR mentions we must die moment to moment. The new only emerges with death. The death of the ego occurs only through meditation. But dying from moment to moment is very interesting. Some people have confused this statement by the belief or the mistaken practice of trying to annihilate the ego moment by moment without meditation, just by physically doing what one is doing in work, day in life, and asking for annihilation of the ego after seeing it. But Salman Vera mentions that the death of desire is only obtained through profound meditation. Dying from instant to instant means to renounce our level of being, to be awake, to not feed the ego, to not give it what it wants. Restrain the mind. See it for what it is and don't act on it. That is how you weaken the ego. Gain data so that when you meditate, you have strength. You've not wasted your vital energies in wrong thinking, wrong feeling, wrong ways of acting. So the death of the ego individualizes the soul because right now we are a multiplicity. One eye wants to ride its bike, one ego wants to eat, one ego wants to watch TV, one ego wants to work, one ego wants to daydream. The pluralized ego is the opposite of individuality. Resurrection, death of the ego, means to integrate the soul to become a real individual being without contradictions. Because the ego originates conflict, paradoxes. We want one thing in one day, we change our mind the next. We love a person one day, we hate them the next. We're conflicted always in our three brains. The solution is meditate, annihilate the ego. Little by little, we gain development. And then, with the death of that multiplicity, we become an individual self, an individual being. When the ego is fully dead, the being remains. That is true individuality. As the Muslims say, there is no God but God. And Muhammad is his prophet. To bear witness, shahida 
is to see in yourself that there is no ego. That is very high. Right now, we have levels of inspiration. We may bear witness in meditation through samadhis and experiences of the heights of God. But until the ego is dead, we cannot really proclaim the shahidah, the first pillar of the Muslim faith, with perfection. So the being is one. The ten sephiroth are one when the ego is dead. Interior illumination, the sparrow hawk only emerges when the death of the ego is perfected. Resurrection is only through initiation, not for common people. If lust exists in the mind, it must be disintegrated. And if it is not worked upon intentionally, then of course those souls, whether Jewish, Buddhist, Muslim, Sufi, Christian, Gnostic, go to the grave, and if there's no work, the, law will, the forces of devolution take that soul to be disintegrated in hell. Because hell is a recycling plant. It's meant for those who do not work on the ego. Because the ego must die, no matter what. Whether we go up on our own will, but if we don't want to eliminate it on ourselves, divinity out of compassion takes that soul, sends them down. That's a form of death too. The second death. Initiatic death is different. Where we don't have to go through the pain of hell. But freeing ourselves, we reach the development. Immortality is gained when the ego is dead. We often hear of figures like Master Moria, Kuthumi, Cagliostro, Salmayan Vior, resurrected masters who have the ability to emerge in any place physically at will from the internal planes. They have immortal bodies that allow them to continue to help humanity anonymously. That's only obtained when we resurrect. We can obtain immortality only through working with the laws of the cosmos. When we create a solar astro body, we become immortal in the law, the world of 24 laws, the astral plane. We can travel in that dimension freely with consciousness. With the creation of the mental body, we have freedom in the world of 12 laws, the world of the mind, the mental plane. When we create a solar cause of body, we become immortal in the law of the world of six laws. As Paul of Tarsus states in chapter 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 53 to 55, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Meaning, the second death. People think that this pertains to physical death. That they will be victorious over the death of the physical body and will enter a utopia, heaven. But it means that one doesn't go down into the infernal world to be disintegrated. That is the real grave. The death of the spirit. 
we must enter the path of the revolution of the consciousness, which leads to the second birth. We have to pass through many deaths, death of the ego. I will relate to you an excerpt from Friedrich Nietzsche's book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, which relates these principles. Primarily, I find this very moving for me because I have experienced something related to this chapter, which I'll relate to you. But in this chapter, it's called The Tomb Song. He talks about singing with glory about the death of the ego. It's a song about death, death of desire. It also is a poetic verse or poetic passage about how Nietzsche at one point lost his development before, again, he entered the path and was trying to rise again. And so he was writing about his longing of his past development in ancient eras, the innocence of his soul. There is the Isle of Tombs, the silent isle. There, too, are the tombs of my youth, meaning his development in Eden, bliss. There I wish to carry an evergreen wreath of life. Resolving this in my heart, I cross the sea, meaning to work in alchemy, to work with the waters. O oh, you visions and apparitions of my youth, O oh, all you glances of love, you divine moments, how quickly you died. Today I recall you like dead friends, from you, my dearest friends among the dead, a sweet scent comes to me, loosening heart in tears. What is that scent? The perfumes of chastity, transmutation. And what was the friends of his youth that died? His virtues, which any master loses when they fall. Verily, it perturbs and loosens the heart of the lonely seafarer, the hermit, the initiate, who crosses the sea of alchemy upon the great ark, the arcanum. I am still the richest and most enviable, I the loneliest, in meditation. For once I possessed you, and you still possess me. Say, to whom fell, as to me, such rose apples from the bough? I am still the heir of your love and its soil, flowering in remembrance of you with motley wild virtues, O oh, you most wild ones, you most loved ones. The soil is Malkut, the earth which generates the flowers of the soul through transmutation through the waters. And those wild virtues are motley, like multicolored, divine, beautiful virtues which illuminate the soul. Alas, we were fashioned to remain close to each other, other to, close to each other, you fair and strange wonders. And you came to me and my craving, not like shy birds, but like trusting ones to him who trusts the birds the doves of the Holy Spirit of chastity. Indeed, fashioned for loyalty like myself and for tender eternities, 
I must now call you after your disloyalty, your divine glances and moments. I have not yet learned any other name. Verily, you have died too soon for me, you fugitives. Yet you did not flee from me, nor did I flee from you. We are equally innocent in our disloyalty. So, those virtues never leave the soul. Bodhicitta is never lost. The perfected wisdom mind of compassion, which if any master falls, those virtues get embottled in the ego. To kill me, they strangled you, songbirds of my hopes. Indeed, after you, my dearest friends, malice has ever shot its arrows to hit my heart. So who are these enemies that strangled his soul? The ego. Because if we fall, the ego resurrects in us stronger. And it hit. For you have always been closest to my heart, my possession, and what possessed me. That is why you had to die young and all too early. The arrow was shot at my most vulnerable possession, at you whose skin is like down, and even more like a smile that dies of a glance. So why arrows? Achilles was shot in the heel by Paris. We fall through the heel, which relates to Yasod, the sandals, the feet. Because if we fall in Malkut, in the physical world, we lose everything. But this word I want to speak to my enemies what is all murder of human beings compared to that which you have done to me? What you have done to me is more evil than any murder of human beings. Because when we kill the soul, we lose all. It is worse than physical death. You have taken from me the irretrievable. Thus I speak to you, my enemies. For you murdered the visions and dearest wonders of my youth. Meaning, through fornication, the ego has eclipsed our sun. We've lost all vision of the divine. My playmates who took from me the blessed spirits, the elementals of nature, which we once communicated with as children. In their memory, I lay down this wreath and this curse. This curse against you, my enemies. As Samael Vior says in the Pisces Sophia, May curse and damnation be for the psychic aggregates. May liberation be for Sophia, the soul. For you have cut short my eternal bliss as a tone that breaks off in the cold night. Scarcely as the gleam of divine eyes it came to me, passing swiftly as a glance. Thus spoke my purity once in a fair hour. All being shall be divine to me. Then you assaulted me with filthy ghosts. Alas, where has this fair hour fled now? Meaning he was chased, but then he fell. All days shall be holy to me. Thus said the wisdom of my youth once. Verily, it was the saying of a gay wisdom, a happy wisdom. But then you, my enemies, stole my nights from me and sold them into sleepless agony. Alas, where has the gay, happy wisdom fled now? 
Once I craved happy omens from the birds. Then you led a monster of an owl across my way, a revolting one. Birds are symbols of the Holy Spirit, but an owl of witchcraft. So he fell into black magic, where he was assaulted by the Black Lodge. Alas, where did my tender desire flee then? All nausea I once vowed to renounce, disgust. Then you changed those near and nearest to me into putrid boils. Alas, where did my noblest vow flee then? So what is the noblest vow anyone can take in this universe? It is chastity. I once walked as a blind man among blessed paths. Then you threw filth in the path of the blind man through karma. And now his old footpath nauseates him. And when I did what was hardest for me and celebrated the triumph of my overcomings of the ego, then you made those who loved me scream that I was hurting them. Because when we work on the path, because of karma, we're working on our mind. People closest to us in the physical plane turn against us, saying we are harming them, thinking that our work is negative. Verily, this was always your practice. You galled the best honey in the industry of my best bees, because honey is a symbol of alchemy. The ego poisons the honey of the soul through desire. The honey is a symbol of transmutation, which becomes filthy, ruined by the mind through fornication. To my charity, you always dispatched the most impudent beggars. Around my pity, you always pushed the incurably shameless, meaning those egos that always want to be fed, to be helped. Self-pity, weakness, insecurity, which weakens us. Salman Vera mentions that we have to be merciless against the ego, to have no weakness. Thus you wounded my virtue in its faith. And whenever I lay down for a sacrifice, even what was holiest to me, your piety immediately placed its fatter gifts alongside. And in the fumes of your fat, what was holiest to me suffocated. Because the ego knows how to put its hands to make the form of the cross and say, I am forgiven. To make gifts, to be virtuous, to give to others. We can do it with ego. But because our soul is weak, like Abel against Cain, our virtues have been suffocated by the stench of the fat of burnt offerings, our idols. And once I wanted to dance as I had never danced before, over all the heavens I wanted to dance through samadhi, like the sparrow hawk flying in the heavens of the superior worlds. Then you persuaded my dearest singer, and he struck up a horrible, dismal tune. Alas, he tooted in my ears like a gloomy horn. So what does it mean to sing? We can either mantralize or speak curses. So what is our psychological song, says Samayam Vior? Do we sing with negativity, our sad story to humanity, hoping for solace, or do we sing with 
the virtues of God, the being. Murderous singer, ego, tool of malice, most innocent yourself. I stood ready for the best dance when you murdered my ecstasy with your sounds. Only in the dance do I know how to tell the parable of the highest things. And now my highest parable remain unspoken in my limbs. Because with ego we are heavy, we can't move. Nietzsche says, I only believe in a God who can dance. So if we have ego, we cannot fly in the heavens. And if we have experiences in the astral plane where we can't fly up in the air because we're heavy, we're weak, it's precisely because of the ego. And Nietzsche's saying, I want to sing and dance and be up there, but I can't because I'm down here. My highest hope remained unspoken and unredeemed. And all the visions and consolations of my youth died. How did I endure it? How did I get over and overcome such wounds? How did my soul rise again out of such tombs? Indeed, in me there is something invulnerable and unburiable, something that explodes rock. That is my will. Silent and unchanged, it strides through the years. It would walk its way on my feet, my old will. And its mind is hard of heart and invulnerable. Christ's will, the will to give birth to the Superman. It would walk its way on my feet, because the feet is the assault, the sandals, how we walk in this physical world with transmutation. Invulnerable am I only in the, in the heel. So again, the heel is relating to chastity. If we get wounded in the heel, we fall. You are still alive in your old self, most patient one. You have still broken out of every tomb. What in my youth was unredeemed lives on in you. And as life and youth, you are sit there full of hope on yellow ruins of tombs. Indeed, for me, you are still the shatterer of all tombs. Hail to thee, my will. And only where there are tombs are there resurrections. Thus saying Zarathustra. Long ago, I had another experience where I was asking divinity, my God, about my work, where I was in my path. And I remember having sailed on a ship, an ark, and I flew above an isle of tombs, an island of empty red marbled sepulchers. And I remember wondering what this experience meant. It meant death of the ego. So if you wish to be redeemed from suffering, we have to die to the ego. A silent isle. The tombs of our youth. The recapitulation of our past we do that through death of the demon of desire in Egypt known as Apope, the lunar astral vehicle, the demon of the mind, Hai, the lunar mental body, and the demon of evil will, seeds or causes of desire. These three traitors are known as Judas, Pilate, Caiaphas, demon of desire, demon of mind, demon of evil will.
So we must resurrect Osiris from the dead. Osiris is the Egyptian Christ. Or, to use Egyptian Hebrew mysticism, the soul Israel, Isis, the Divine Mother, Ra, the solar logos, and El, the spirit. Osiris, Isis, and Oros. Osiris must resurrect in us, according to the Freemis, the Masonic tradition of Hiram Abif. So, again, how do we reach resurrection? Through Al-Kiyamah, the resurrection in Arabic, or Al-Kemia, the great Arcanum. We know in Egyptian mysticism that Osiris was slaughtered by Seth, the demon of evil will, desire. His body was torn up into 13 parts. And when Isis was finding all his body parts and putting them back together again to bring Osiris back, he was missing the phallus, which she replaced <clears throat> with the phallus of gold, a symbol of Arcanum 13, which relates to this Arcanum 20. So when the phalluses or the sexual glands are of gold, it means that we are perfected. That is when resurrection can occur, return from the dead. This is the path or passion of Christ. Inri, the path of immortality. So the hieroglyphics of Arcanum 20 relate to judgment. As I said, the day of judgment occurred in 1950 in the internal planes. So when people are talking in other Judeo-Christian or Muslim circles about the Day of Judgment, they're thinking that it's going to be occurring in the future. According to the scriptural references to cataclysms and great destruction, which people are ignoring are actually happening now. The Day of Judgment already occurred in 1950, where humanity was presented before the tribunals of karma, before the gods, Anubis, Samael. Samael and Vior is the angel of Mars, the fifth angel, according to planetary mysticism, governing the fifth root race. He was given the keys of heaven and hell to lock demons into the abyss. Because in the 40s and even early 20s, during World War I and II, the astral atmosphere was filled with sorcerers. There was a great war going on internally where physically and even in the internal planes there was not much hope for any people being able to practice Gnosis. So the First World War occurred because there was a battle between the Black Lodge and the teachings of Gurdjieff in World War II, that war continued at a greater scale because physically Hitler and other initiates of the Black Lodge were trying to spread their doctrine. When Hitler gained power in Germany, the Tibetans of the Black Lodge marched celebrating his entrance into power 
And so, with World War II and all the conflicts occurring physically, you know, in the internal planes, you had many black magicians, millions, where it was impossible to do effective internal work. And so the White Lodge came to the angel Samael on the Or, the angel of Mars, who is known as Ares in Greek, and gave him the honor of placing all of those demons into hell, locking them in the infernal dimension so that they could not affect the Gnostic work. So people read about this in the Revolution of Beelzebub. And people may believe or not believe in it. But personally, I've seen many things internally related to this. Even now, as recently as a few years ago, I was invoking in the astral plane, trying to invoke Samael and Lior. And I remember looking up in the sky, and there was a huge storm. And I looked into the clouds clairvoyantly, and I saw angels and demons fighting. Where it was about 4 a.m. in the morning. So it was a very difficult hour for invocation. But even now, you could see where I saw the Elohim, where, like in the images of the Paradise Lost, etched by Gustav Dore, angels fighting demons. So in the 50s, that was even greater, where Salman Vior was given command internally, take all these demons that are polluting the astral plane and lock them into hell. This is somewhat allegorized in Gustav Holst's classical composition, Mars, the bringer of war, where you hear in the music, if you meditate on that music, you can see internally and clairvoyantly how Salman Vior waged that war. And you can read about this in the Revolution of Beelzebub, where he talks about after the Day of Judgment, when all the demons were sent and sentenced to the infernal worlds as being unworthy, Salman Vior was given command to take all of them and lock them up. You see in this image an angel facing hordes of demons. And so this might seem amazing. And of course, the Kabbalists of the Zohar referred to Samael as a terrifying angel. They write with him, about him with a lot of fear, reverence. So I remember invoking the Master once and one time, I was being attacked in the astral plane by a vampire trying to steal my energy. So I can attest to the power of Samael, where I invoked him. I looked to the sky, in the name of Christ, and I saw a bell emerge from the sky and ring, like in the Catholic Church, ringing with that powerful tone, bum, by the power of the Christ, bum, by the majesty of the Christ, bum, Samael on Vior. And I remember suddenly my vision was taken. His magnetic pole turned me and faced me towards the outside of my house where I had flown out because I was being assaulted. My energies were being stealing, stolen by this vampire. And Salman Vior appeared, standing in the, my backyard of my home, and the demon next to me, who couldn't move, who was overpowered by this angel, who is the power of love. So people think of Samael as the angel of war, as some hateful figure. But it's a powerful, intense, conscious love that fights for what is just and knows how to command with serenity. And so, I remember in my youth, I used to play a lot of video games. 
I remember one game I used to play on the computer. You would face these magician characters that would move their hands, creating like an energy ball, and then would shoot them at their enemy. And I remember Salman Vior was showing me symbolically how he was controlling this demon. He, he appeared as that image of a magician moving his hands with an energy light. Because I remember that experience as a youth. I play, unfortunately, I play a lot of games. But then he was showing me through symbol, that symbolic image how he was controlling this demon, not with coercion, but with love. And he awoke that demon out of the ego and he was standing there awake like me. So it was very powerful. He converted this demon in front of me. And then he said, come with me. We walked towards the edge of the street where my house was. And I remember this, sorcer this sorcerer asking my forgiveness for having assaulted me. That's just one experience. But that angel has power over all humanity. Padmasambhava was said to have converted millions of demons in Tibet. Any master has that power. Any prophet has that power. So I attest that Salman Vior is the angel of strength. He is the converter of many fallen ones, which is why in the Zohar, Samek, the serpent, and Kabbalah is the one that raises the dead to the heights of resurrection. So I was dead spiritually, and his teachings revived me. And even this demon that was assaulting me, Samael raised him from the dead, from Klipot. He helped Belzebub, a prince of demons. And so in this way, I was very humbled. I have a lot of love for my teacher. Because from experiences like that, and even physically, I would not be alive if it weren't for him. So, he is the angel of judgment. He punishes humanity for its mistakes. Not out of hatred, but out of compassion. Because if we don't face ourselves, we will continue to amplify our suffering and make it worse for others. So in this topic of resurrection, it's important to remember that in order to reach those heights, we must understand the difference between need and greed. Many people are jealous in the spiritual movement. They hear of other people's experiences and they want power. They want samadhis, they want experiences. People want money materially, a new house, a new car, a new job a new wife or husband. So any ounce of desire for security will make us fail because God is the one who gives security, provides for our needs. If we desire for things we don't have without earning it, we feed desire and desire is the opposite of the being. Of course, we need to be able to take care of our needs but we must not indulge in greed, in social status, in the accumulation of wealth, with pomposity, trying to impress others with our social status, to denigrate others. 
So covetousness exists when we crave psychic powers, when we want end results. So people who go around spiritual movements wandering, searching for powers, people who are in one school today and then another one and then and tomorrow, are filled with covetousness, says Salman Vayor. They envy the saints and have no power themselves. And then when people have initiated power through work, they are crucified. So the mind that is bottled up in desire and covetousness is unstable. Only the being has power. Only divinity is eternal, divine. The intellect cannot know God. And people who are covetousness or covetous want to bottle up God. They think that by having knowledge in the intellect in theories that they understand divinity when they don't know anything. They don't have experiences. So people abandon the work of alchemy because desire is easy. Feeding desire is simple. It doesn't take any effort. But annihilating the ego is very difficult. Never easy. Because we are 97% ego. And if we work on the ego, we get everything we need. Not what we want, but what we have earned. And what will sustain us. Food, clothing, shelter. If you're chased and working in alchemy or transmutation, we receive exactly what we need. So people like to pray, and even in our tradition, do chains, esoteric practices to accumulate money, cars, a home, wealth. And unfortunately, this is very mistaken, because God does not reward desire. He rewards development, humility, compassion. If we don't give those things to others, we suffer. And so the very things we may ask for in those rituals get turned against us and create all sorts of sicknesses and problems. Arcana 20 is important in its relationship to the previous arcana. We talked about Arcana 16, fragility, or we can call it fatality. Salma and Vera mentions that many resurrected masters have fallen. They had annihilated the ego. They had an immortal physical body. And yet because, like Zanoni, fell in love, entered the sexual act when it was forbidden to them, they lost their energy and they fell. Zanoni was a master who was resurrected very high. But he fell in love physically with an actress from Naples near the French Revolution. So the law took him, and he was being a count, a nobleman, was taken before the courtyards and the guillotine and executed. Even Hector Berlioz and his Symphonie Fantastique symbolize the death of Zanoni in the fourth movement of that piece, fourth uh, movement of that symphony, I believe. And the fifth, which is much more darker, represents devolution. Zanoni was executed in, a, in the end of symphony, the fourth movement. And then the fifth, you hear about his devolution within hell for having betrayed the law. Many resurrected masters have fallen. 
because they lose their sexual energy. There's an example of Geronimo, who was a disciple of Cagliostro, who revealed his secret of alchemy at the time to an esoteric friend who became scandalized by alchemy and said, you need to have sex with your wife and lose your energy in a dignified and spiritual manner. Because obviously people don't like chastity. Which is why this master fell and others like him, Zanoni, others, very common. So those masters who, even though they have no ego, take a partner against the law, they fall. So why is it that a resurrected master would fall? Because at that height, they're told by divinity, now that you've perfected the sexual stone, do not use it again. But many of them, they fall in love, and at that point, they lose everything. It's because at that point, they don't need the sexual act anymore. They perfected it. Therefore, they have to renounce it. But some of them, they lose remembrance of their divine mother, even then. And then they can get tempted, start all over again. It happens. Salman Vera mentions that resurrected masters need a will of steel, not the fall. And so there are many who don't ever fall, but many who do. And so they're back in the Gnostic movement again, trying to rise again. Yes, it is the path of the razor's edge. So there are three types of resurrection. Just as there are masculine, feminine, and neutral energies, there are three types of resurrection. The first is initiatic, spiritual. Raise the serpents of fire, serpents of light. First mountain. The second is resurrection with the body of liberation. The third is resurrection with the physical body. So the resurrection with the body of liberation is most common. This body in Yasod is formed by the best atoms of the physical body, created and perfected through alchemy. It is the vehicle of bodhicitta amongst the Buddhists. It is flesh that does not come from Adam, the fornicating human soul, but is the perfected vehicle of Yasod, which is within the physical body. <clears throat> the physical body is the carcass, the mummy, where the body of liberation is that which we can travel on the eternal planes once the physical body is dead. Yes. So this body is indescribably beautiful, says Salman Vior. And I attest to this because I saw Salman Vior in the internal planes with that body. White garments, perfected. So this is a body that, while in Yasod, can manifest in any place of the earth, physically, can materialize. That is why it is a body of liberation, because it is free, not bounded by any law except Christ. Then there's a more common resurrection, or better said, uncommon resurrection, with the physical body. Comes to my mind only really Jesus who did this. So, with the resurrection of the physical body, that, bo that body dies after three days, an adept comes to it in the internal planes. This master, or better said, the adept who dies, like Jesus, 
in the internal planes approaches the physical body. Invoking that vehicle through hyperspace so that that body enters the pineal gland of the master, enters the internal planes. This vehicle is prepared through certain prayers and rituals and ointments by holy women, masters of Jin science, who perform this ritual for Jesus. So then that body penetrates physically, enters the internal planes, enters the pineal gland. And then the master obtains that physical body again. So that's not common, but we know the case of Jesus of Nazareth who did that. Other masters like Joan of Arc, who was burned at the stake, resurrected with the body of liberation. Salman Vior, the body of liberation. And so most masters don't follow what Jesus did because he was very high up. But that is a particular path which is decided by divinity. We always conclude towards the end of our lectures with the Psalms. Psalm 119 begins with Resh, the letter R, from verses 153 to 160. Look for my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law, the great Arkadam. We are only delivered through resurrection, because as the Quran teaches, the place of permanence is the being. Contend for my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your word. Because as we are now, we are dead spiritually. We are given resurrection, life through the verb, through alchemy, Allah-kimia. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Meaning, resurrection is not for the fornicators, the ego, for they do not fulfill the law of transmutation. O your chava, your tender mercies are great. Give me life according to your judgments. The day of judgment. Because while the day of judgment occurred for humanity in 1950, we are judged before the law at the height of the second mountain to see if we will be worthy to marry our divine princess Turandot, as we saw in the opera of that name. My persecutors and enemies are many, I do not turn from your testimonies, your visions, your astral experiences, your jinn experiences. I saw the traitors and was grieved because they did not keep your word. So who are the traitors? On one level is the ego. But what about those resurrected masters who did not keep their word? They did not remember chastity. They fell. And so this master who was writing the Psalms was grieved because they did not keep their commitment to bodhicitta throughout their development after reaching resurrection. See how I love your precepts, O Yorkhava. Give me life according to your mercy. The sum of your word is true. Every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. The Hebrew letter Rish relates to the head. Calligraphically, it relates to the spine and the crown. Our head is where we receive the solar fires. You see the images of the eye of Ra, Osiris Ra in Egypt, a symbol of the Logos. 
In the top right, we see Medusa, Resh, with Ayin. Because the letter Rosh is dualistic. Like Kuf, it is the head. Like Kaf as well. Resh is the symbol of the fire that is in the brain, illuminated. But that fire can be polarized through Ayin, which is a negative letter, or Karnam 16. The 16th letter, Ayin, relates to the eyes, spiritual sight. And if we're filled with adultery in our mind, Ayin polarizes the fires of Ra and petrifies the soul, like Medusa staring into the eyes of the initiates. Because the ego is Medusa. If we use the fires of Ra, the sexual organs, that rise to our head through transmutation, but for the ego, we become stone. Ra, ar, uh, resh, ayin, means evil, impurity, pollution. We find this term even in Otshadat Tob Ve Ra, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But really, it refers to the tree of knowledge of purity, Tob, and Impurity, Ra. Resh means head, or Rosh means head, which is where we get terms like Rosh Hoshana, the Jewish New Year. We celebrate a new year in an initiatic development when we raise the Kundalini fire of Zayin from sex to the head. That is a new year in Jewish mysticism which is symbolized by that holiday. Ten days afterward, you celebrate Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So after you've raised the fire of Zayin, Kundalini, from sex to the brain, seven serpents of fire, eight serpents of light on the first mountain. Then after ten days of purification, you purify the ten Sephiroth, you enter resurrection, atonement. We create light, Aur, through our vav, our spinal column. The word for light, aor, ends in resh, because through aleph, pranayama, transmutation, we raise it up, those energies up our spine, vav, to our head, resh. We form aor, light. Yehi aor, va yehi aor. Let there be light, and there was light. We practice the mantra Inri at the beginning of this lecture because rrr, the letter R vibrates in the head, the crown chakra. So Inri invokes Christ into the head. The vowel or the letter consonant R is the letter of fire. Where do you concentrate Inri? Crown chakra, pineal gland, pituitary gland. Third eye, polyvoin eye, uh, omniscience, crown chakra. And in that way, Osiris, or the light of Osiris Christ, enters our head. Oros, even in Hebrew, has a word for light. Spelled with a he, vav, resh, but really it's a silent H. So it's Oros. Oros, meaning gold. 
The goal of the Spirit emerges in our head through alchemy. We develop that light, the Son of God, the Christ, through resurrecting Osiris in us. Osiris is spelled Aleph, Vav, Samek, Yod, Resh, Yod, Samek. You find the word Aleph, Vav, Resh, the word for light. You find two Yods and then two Sameks. It refers to this couple in alchemy. Because both husband and wife are working to raise Samek, the serpent, through the power of Yod, Keter. Israel, we explained. Isis Ra'el, the solar logos, has the letter Resh involved in it. The consonant R is fire. It is the fire of God. But when it is polarized to the ego, it is Medusa. Resh Ain is evil. But Resh Aleph is pure. So when we perfect our vision through Aleph, through transmutation and meditation, we can work with the solar logos. Resh also relates to Keter. Since Resh is the last letter of the word Keter. Kaf, Tav, Resh. Kaf is the crown. Tav, our crown of 22, the 22nd letter of Kabbalah, is the seal of God, the perfection of God in the crown, the chakra of omniscience, Laodicea. And Resh is when the fire is fully permeating the crown, the head. That's why in Jewish mysticism and in Islam, they wear a crown, kufi, or a kippah in Judaism. Keter is the vast countenance, the vast face. And Resh can also relate to the face because the primary feature of our head is our face. And in Kabbalah, you have the vast countenance, Arik Anpin, the big face, the holy face of God, which relates to Keter, Chokmah, Bina, and Kabbalah. A face is a symbol of the presence of God. Because when you look in someone's face, you can feel their presence and understand their psyche for clairvoyant or paying attention. There is also Zair Anpim, the lesser countenance, referring to Chesed, the spirit, Geburah, the divine soul, Tiferet, the human soul, Netzach, the mind, Chod, the emotions, Yesod, sex. Greater face, lesser face. Christ above, Bodhisattva below human soul. So even Arik Anpin is spelled Alif Resh Yod Kaf Arik, which also has similar letters to Aur. You take the Yod, extend it, it becomes a Vav. Or, Arik, Arik, meaning vast. Anpin meaning countenance. Zair also has Resh. Zain, Yod, Resh. Zain is the Kundalini. So, Zayin rises from sex to the brain and to the heart in the lower seven sephiroth, seven serpents of fire, Zayin, the Hebrew letter of the Kundalini. The lesser countenance is the human soul that has to raise those serpents to their Rosh so they can celebrate Rosh Hashanah. The Muslims state, turn your face to God because we are the lesser countenance, the human soul, the bottom Rish that has to worship the great face. 
that is bowing in humility. From Surat al-Baqarah, verses 112 and then 115. Whoever submits his face in Islam to Allah while being a doer of good will have his reward with his Lord. And no fear will there be concerning them, nor will they grieve. So, Muslims, they practice bowing towards the east, towards Mecca. It's a symbol of humility. Obeying the commands of our inner God. Bowing our face in Islam. Submission. Controlling our mind. Submitting it to Christ by bowing at his feet. The feet of Adam Kadmon. Keter, the perfected being. And to Allah belongs the east and the west. Malkut in the west. East up towards Tifereth. And Da'at. So wherever you might turn, there is the face of Allah. Indeed, Allah is all-encompassing and all-knowing. So Resh is a profound symbol. Profound letter. It is Christic when it is purified, but demonic when it is mixed with ego. So that symbol of turning one's face to Allah is very profound, very beautiful. And so... uh, We'll uh, conclude and open the floor to questions. Oh, good. So you talked about how Samuel um, locked up the demons in the 50s. So that, that couldn't have been all of them because there's still demons and black magicians in the astral plane now. Can you right. Yeah, so that's a good question because a lot of people ask us, well, if... Salman Vior was responsible for locking up the demons of the Black Lodge. Why are there so many of them in the internal planes? Well, according to karma, certain demons were, because of their, the gravity of their actions, were no longer granted a human life. So those that died in World War II, many of them didn't have any more lives left in their cycle of 108 existences. So Samuel took many of them who had no hope for redemption and locked them up. Only those souls which could repent and change were given the opportunity to continue, to give a new body. Like in the case of Beelzebub, he was extremely fallen, but the law had mercy on him, and he had love still in his heart. In his heart. Many of those demons, there's no hope left for them because they're... Development in hell is so intense. So the demons who still exist nowadays in the astral plane still have a chance for a planet, but have chosen not to? Yes. They may not yet have chosen because in the case of this experience where the demon came to me and was, was assaulting me in this vampire, someone very converted him. So he uh, had the opportunity to change. And hopefully, I don't know what happened to this master but, or this initiate, of the black path, maybe he has continued working now, changed. Not sure. Yes. Another question about um, Samuel and Bewar. We talked about how the Lord's karma dealt with judgment to humanity that we must go to the abyss. I heard that Samuel actually 
actually defended humanity and argued to give more time to humanity. Um, is that incorrect? In terms of uh, what someone we were did, I know many missionaries who mentioned that. Personally, I don't know because I've not asked him. But I know that Salman Vior, even in the Zohar, is very merciful. He is Samek, and the law told him you have to work down there to help raise the initiates up. Many of the gods were not sympathetic to humanity because really our crimes have reached heaven. But Salman Vior, it wouldn't surprise me if yes, he did say that because he helped a prince of demons renounce hell. So, I have a lot of faith in that. Talking about uh, eliminating desire, but I understand desire is a motivating cause for all action. Um, I assume you're referring to negative desires. Yeah, the term we use for desire is ego. In a strict sense, the, the thought that says, I want, I need, I crave, I must do, give me what I want. But even poets like Rumi have used the term desire in a poetic sense. Desire for God, longing for God. It's better if we use the term longing, I think, but even se semantically we can, we can go back and forth about uh, even the term desire can refer to a, a deep, intense yearning for something spiritual. But commonly what people say desire means is, is ego. Yeah, so we talk about seven sins in Catholicism, which relate to the seven planets, esoterically speaking. We have defects relating to the moon, Mercury, Venus, the sun, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. There's also seven virtues that are born when we work on those particular defects. Avarice, laziness, lust, anger. In terms of uh, pride. Yeah, pride and uh, gluttony and yes, so there are seven defects. You can study those seven planetary influences and how the birth of the virtues are born through the death of those egos. But we don't say there are just seven capital sins. It's a means of understanding the psyche. It's not to say that there are only seven defects. Primarily because lust can be greedy and proud. Pride can be lustful and gluttonous. Craving attention and impressions, praise. Envy is greedy for the destruction of other people's well-being. So we use seven virtues or defects to help us understand and have a basis by which we can talk about the qualities of the soul themselves. Uh, there's a lecturer who gave a talk on GnosticTeachings.org who talked extensively about the seven virtues and the seven sins according to the course on compassion, the fourth lecture, Transforming Suffering. You can study that lecture on Gnostic Teachings, the podcast, which we can provide a link for you if you want. Or you can study that lecture and it talks about 
those virtues and faults in detail. So narcissist was a, was a symbol of a beautiful youth who fell in love with his own image in a lake. And then, because he fell in love, I believe he, uh, uh, he kept staring at his image. And it, it also relates to the myth of Echo, I believe, is a soul who uh, longs to be heard by us, the human soul. But because we are narcissists, we look at our self-image, and we think we're beautiful and on the outside, but really we're ugly, psychologically speaking. Because we've, yeah, because we've resurrected the ego in us and no longer have the being present, unless we're working. Yeah, and so all of us are, yeah, yeah, all of us are narcissistic. Because... Yes. And unless we die to the ego and annihilate all vanity, we will never resurrect. Speaking about, you mentioned Egypt, and you probably saw it was on the internet. They made another discovery, a big one. In Egypt, they found that they, they said the uh, mummies, or the sarcophagus, or whatever you call it, were in pretty good condition when they found it. But also, there were a lot of, they said, designs on it. This is interesting. Symbols and designs on the caskets, or whatever you want to call them. No. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, because uh, those mummies are preserved through a very advanced science, as we said, and even some on Vior was going to occupy a mummy at one point. He was, at his, before resurrection, he was preparing himself at the time to take over the body of a mummy, which was prepared for him in Egypt. But I believe uh, he did not need it any longer. But he mentioned that many times in lectures to students that he was going to do so, according, if it was according to the will of his being. So mummies are very profound uh, vehicles that can be used by resurrected masters and uh, or better said used by certain initiates to help humanity Did so yes 
Yeah, so the, yeah, so the popular beliefs about resurrection and mummies themselves really is very uh, much based in superstition, unfortunately, but the reality of resurrection is something profound, something divine. And the science of mummies is not taught openly, mostly because of the skepticism of humanity who could not accept or work with or even begin to approach that science. Very interesting to find out if they're going to try to decipher these symbols they found because they were loaded with symbols on the caskets. Very interesting. Yes. So perhaps we can find images of that in the near future. If there are any more questions, we'll conclude. I thank you for coming. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.